Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. By the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. That's Psalm 146, the fifth through the tenth verses. And it's one of the two psalms appointed for today. The second is Psalm 147. And it is Thursday, April the 8th, 2021. I have a brother who has a birthday today, and I'd like to give him a shout-out and a happy birthday. I'm blessed to have a brother such as him. We're moving into an interesting passage for me. It always has been an interesting passage. I mean, it's got to be interesting for everybody. Nobody could possibly read this and not be just baffled on the one hand by it and, and just imagining what in the world has gone on here. Is this something Ezekiel saw in his spirit, or did he see it in reality? It sounds like you've seen it in reality, but if he did, what happened to these dry bones that become life? So what we see is the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And this is Ezekiel 37, the first 14 verses. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry, which means they'd been there a long, long time, you know, becoming dust. We, in 2000, I guess it was, Suzanne and I, um, we were working, at, well, she was working at a church. I was graduating from seminary, and we, we got connected through that church in Pauly's Island with a church in, uh, the, the church in Rwanda, the Anglican church there, and got to know the bishops, and uh, they said, John, we think that the Lord's calling you to a work there, and so they offered me a position that I didn't understand, had no earthly idea what it was. I'd never heard of such a thing. It, it's, it's a position that's common in the church in Africa, and it's a development director, and it, it, it oversees the work. Each diocese, and there are nine in Rwanda, that they would, um, they would have projects like um, experimental gardens to try and get more vitamin C, for instance, into a diet, or uh, schools and all kinds of different things that they did. Some of them were, you know, trade schools. Some of them were regular schools because uh, education was a very high priority in Rwanda, particularly among the exiles who came back after the genocide, those who had been in Uganda. They wanted to raise education and universal education as a high priority in the country. And so the uh, they knew that the way to upward mobility and advancement and a, and a move away, frankly, from the mindset um, that led to the genocide was through universal education. And so the church really focused on that. Well, I didn't understand what my role was to be. And so I said, how about we come over there? And we went, Suzanne and I did for a few days, literally not very long at all. We flew all the way over there, spent a few days, turned around, came back. But it was five years after the genocide when we were there. So it must have been 99. And um, they took us to several sites where genocide was. And there was one particular place where we went that they had just left it the way it was when they found it. They had collected the bones from outside and around this little church, and but they had left the, the bones inside the way they were, and they took us down into the repository, I guess is the best word I can use to describe it, for all these bones. And so we would go in and and, and it, the smell was still very strong, and you could you would go in, and, and the bones were arranged by what they were, right? So it wasn't by body. It was arranged by, okay, this is the uh, tibia, this is the 
femur, whatever. These are the skulls. And we went in, and, and, and it was overwhelming to me to see this. So I know a little bit about what these dry bones look like. And I can't imagine what happens next. And, and God asks very simply, Son of man, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. I have no earthly idea, but you do. It's the right answer. <laughs> then he said, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I'll lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. You shall know that I'm the Lord. This is resurrection that's being talked about here. And so Ezekiel prophesied exactly what he was told to prophesy, and there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. And then he saw these things being put together, but there was no breath in them. So the Lord said, prophesy to the wind, and have the wind come and blow on these slain that they may live. And they came together, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And God says, these are the bones of the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. And prophesy and say, I'll open your graves and raise you from the graves, and I'll bring you into the land of Israel, and you'll know that I'm the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I'll put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I'll place them in their own land. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And it goes back to that lesson yesterday from Micah that I was telling you about, that when, when you know something, when the Lord's spoken something to you and you absolutely know it, and then he gives you a sense of how desperate the situation is, because you need to know that only he can do it. And that's what happened here is Ezekiel says, oh Lord, only you know whether these dry bones shall live, and then he shows him. Now you know too, because I showed you. You know about resurrection. You know that no matter how hopeless the people are here in Babylon, my promise is good. And they will be placed back in their own land. It's, it's hard to be in that place of faith when everything comes against that faith. And nothing in the flesh seems to bear out your faith. But we're called to be a people of faith. And sometimes that faith can become a great witness to other people when, when they see what they see and they see what you see but they don't believe what you believe, and, and then they see God do what it is you believed. Like I said, I don't always believe that God's going to do a miracle. In fact, I very rarely believe God's going to do a miracle. But I know when I do, and I've seen it. I just had a cousin of mine just this morning send me an email, or a Facebook message actually, and and we talked about the miracles we've seen in, in, in our children and God turning things around in their lives in different ways. And then we could also reflect on the miracle he did in our own lives for our parents, <laughs> turning us from who we were into who we are. And, and what a wonderful thing that is for both us and our parents. And so, yeah, we've seen it. And, our, and I'm sure our parents believed, but I'm sure there were times when they didn't believe very much because we were not living into anything much except for having fun. So when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's, he's speaking to them sort of as, as brothers and sisters, but kind of as children in some ways. Because um, what, he's, what he's trying to do is teach them. And he's trying to make sure that they continue to be children of God. They continue to live into this new covenant 
And, and it begins with the very simple thing, love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so he's telling them what he's doing, which is laying down his life for his friends, but he's also calling them to live that way as well. And he says, I don't call you servants anymore because servants don't know what their master's up to, but I've called you friends for everything that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you as well. And here he talks about sort of predestination and whose choice it is, and, and it's his. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you. That, for the purpose that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever the, you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. These things I command you so that you love one another. Then he tells them, you know, the, the truth that, that we don't seem to get really very well anymore. And that is if, you, if you're like me, if you do the things that I do, the world's going to hate you. It's going to hate you because it hated me and it hates me in you. And it hates me because truly they hate the Father. There's sort of an attitude of Jonah. And that is, is that they want... God to do what they want Him to do. They want Him to be theirs, their property, and not expand the franchise in any shape, form, or fashion. They want Him to do the things they want Him to do, and they don't want to let Him be God. So they hate Him as God because He won't be bound by them and He won't be tamed by them. And So Jesus says, everything that I'm doing and everything that I will do was for one reason. And that is because I had to fulfill all this prophecy, including the prophecies that says they hated me without a cause. And then again, he promises the Holy Spirit who will bear witness about him. And, and again, without that Holy Spirit, we don't have any hope of bearing witness about Jesus because it's the Holy Spirit working in us that wills to know him and proves his choice of us, not our choice of him. Our wills are bound and we need the Holy Spirit operating in us as the first gift of God that brings us to faith at all. And so that's the dry bones. Our bones are dry bones. We just don't even realize it sometimes, how dry our bones are. And then the Lord comes and He does a new thing and He brings new life to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're a new creation. We are truly made alive, alive in Him. Peter and John still in the temple and they have moved on from the beautiful gate and they're now in there's a portico there where preaching occurred and it's called Solomon's portico and that's where they are and then all the people run to them because they're utterly astounded Luke says and then Peter begins to speak again and he gives roughly the same basic sermon that he gave that day of Pentecost but now it's because of the work that's been done in the healing of this man, the beautiful gate, that the people have come there. They've seen the work. They've seen a power there that they have no idea where it came from. And, and Peter very quickly says, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? Uh-uh, no, no, no. And then he begins to, to say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. That's a ringing indictment with a lot of proof whom God raised from the dead. To this we're witnesses. And by his name, 
faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter acknowledges this isn't just some halfway healing, it's perfect health. And then he says, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but God foretold this and repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so he says that Jesus is not seen by you right now. He has gone to the Father. Heaven must receive him for a time, and when that time is done, then he will reappear. And if you'd like to be well prepared for that, <laughs> I suggest you repent. And so Peter gives the same offer, the same sermon and the same offer. He's a conviction of sin through telling the truth about what had happened to Jesus, but then also at the same time offering a solution to the problem, which is repentance turning back that your sins may be blotted out but you've got to confess those sins and say yes we agree with him we did all the things that he said we killed murdered your anointed and then he gives him the truth and the truth is you're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. In other words, what he's saying is the mission of Jesus continues. And the mission of Jesus was to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And he said, now he's exposed through all these things how truly lost you are. And that you who thought you were not lost indeed are. And I've proven it to you by telling you what your sin is. You murdered Messiah. And so he's offering them an opportunity to be reconciled to rejoin the covenant because the covenant is still there and he says he's coming to you first it was just jesus's commandment actually was to go from jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth and so here peter's saying we're beginning this new thing and it begins right here right now and the proof the thing that that drew you to this was the work done on this man begging alms in the beautiful gate and so that's the proof that the power of jesus lives in us it was proof not just to the people it was also i'm sure proof to them that that was true the disciples needed it as much as they did. They, they needed to see the kickoff of this thing in the same kind of power jesus moved in I think we as the church need to see those same things. If anything will strengthen your faith, it's when God does something truly extraordinary. And, and that's typically a start of a new thing in our lives, in our ministry. And, and so we don't, you know, sort of expect miracles to happen every day because if they do, well, they no longer count as truly miracles. But sometimes God will do something, jump out of a box and do something you didn't expect, that you didn't see coming, and that there's no natural explanation for. Always believe, but always react as Ezekiel did when you're 
facing down the possibility of a miracle. It's just, I don't know, Lord, only you know. I understand the gravity of the situation. I understand that only a miracle from you can be the actual reality of bringing this to bear.